the courage, questioning norms and finding the real conversation, a space for intentional, motivational, and courageous conversations. This is Carrie Promozik, your host. You got this, courageous people. Our children are all different, and our children have many different abilities. In this episode, I am joined by Julie and Valerie, two amazing women who bring their personal experiences and expertise to the conversation. We are talking about kids of all abilities and highlighting our kids with special needs. Our goal is to try and normalize the conversation about our kids with special needs and how we can do this in a respectful, sensitive, and authentic way. This was the first time I've had two guests on The Courage, so that was very exciting for me. I have to say, I really liked navigating through this topic with Valerie and Julie, who were both so real. I have to say, as I reflect on this episode, we simply role modeled having a conversation about young kids who have special needs and how we can talk about it in positive ways and at the same time, respect and honor parents and children. Yes, it can be awkward or hard to find the right words, and it will never be perfect. I hope this episode will be encouraging for those who value the real need to be inclusive of our kids with special needs and also provides support and encouragement for our parents and caregivers of children with special needs. Okay. Here we go. Welcome everyone to The Courage. Today, we are working at normalizing the conversation towards children of all abilities. And to do this, we have two amazing guests, Julie Promozik and Valerie Leffler. Julie chose her career path in special education through various lenses. Growing up with a sister who has special needs, she never thought she would be a special education teacher. Looking back as a child, Julie originally went to school for fashion merchandising. However, somewhere along the way, she decided she wanted a more impactful career choice. With the opportunity to give back to families, all the care and concern Julie's family received through her sister. Fast forward to all these years later, and now the biggest part of Julie's job and most proud of is being an advocate and making a positive impact on not only her students, but the families in her classrooms as well. Julia has worked in a wide variety of inclusive classrooms as a special education early childhood educator. All the roles she has had helped her grow as a better person and teacher. Julie says, I feel my students and their families teach me more about compassion and making the most of each day more than I can ever teach them. I am grateful each day for all the positive impacts I have made throughout the years, but I'm humbled by the acts of kindness in return I am able to experience through my students and their families. And we also have Valerie Leffler, a professional warrior, wife, and mom to four-year-old twin girls with another on the way. Valerie is based in Plainfield, Illinois, and has a love for all things fun with a good bottle of wine and sharing parenting tips on raising extraordinary kids. Welcome, Julie and Valerie. Hello, how are you, Carrie? Hi. Thank you so much for having Hi. me. I am so excited to have you both here. Okay, so we want to start by telling a little bit more about each one of you, maybe a little thing you want to share. I know I introed you. So I'm going to start with Julie and then go to Valerie. So Julie, what can you tell about you? Just a little, little insight before we get going. So um, just a quick insight. I have a connection to both Carrie and um, Valerie. Carrie and I are... Um, Cousin-in-laws, is that, is that what we're calling it now? I think, I think that's official. It's official. Yeah, I think after uh-huh. all these years, right? <laughs> and yeah. um, I had the pleasure of meeting Valerie and her family oh, two years ago and working with their awesome family and it was just such a great experience. And when this kind of came to light, I knew these two people and had to bring this conversation afloat. Yeah, welcome. Okay, Valerie, tell us a little bit more about you. 
So um, prior to COVID, I actually worked as an after-school activities director at my children's um, Montessori school. So I um, noticed then that I saw my child amongst their peers and she was not meeting all of her milestones. So that's actually when I um, got the help from Julie. Um, I, I just kind of put it out there looking for someone to just kind of help me at home with my child. I think she might have some special needs. So um, I was connected with Julie and that's kind of how that relationship sprouted. And I'm just really excited to be here and talk about these extraordinary kids. Yes, okay, thank you. All right, so to get started, first what we wanna do is honor the journey and learning of children with unique learning habits. We want to celebrate our kids with special needs and our kids who are typically developing. We will spend time focusing on parenting kids who have special needs, and we will also talk about kids who are typically developing and specifically how we can be supportive of each other at school, on the playground, and in community. Now, sometimes this can be hard because some of us may be less experienced with talking about special needs, so we get awkward or don't to say. So on that note, let's get started with the words we use and the words we say. What suggestions can you share that may be helpful as parents and caregivers engage in conversation about kids with special needs? And Julie, I'd love for you to go first and then Valerie. So sure. what suggestions? Um yeah, definitely. I think some of the biggest things um, that we can teach our children and just kind of keep in the forefront of our mind is people first language. We can use that, we can model it, we can talk about it within our normal everyday conversations and encourage our um, families too as well. And an example of that um, would be saying, oh, there is a Sue in her wheelchair instead of saying, oh, look at that girl in her wheelchair, da, da, da. So we want to identify that that is Sue, our friend, or Sue, our neighbor, or whatever, and she perhaps happens to be in a wheelchair. Um, or we could say, you know, a variety of different things, but always identifying the person first, because as it is important when we talk to anybody, we want to make sure that we're honoring that individual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really like that, people first. Valerie, what could you add to that? Um, my perspective is, of course, going to be from, um, you know, uh, the perspective of a parent of a child with autism. So that's kind of where I'm going to be um, talking from. Um, I totally agree with what Julie said, um, being, you know, individual focused, uh, not, not, you know, individual meaning the child focused, not, not you focused, not the adult focused. I know it's really hard, especially for us moms to be mindful of so many things that we also have to be mindful of how we're wording things, but it is really important um, to be using empathy, uh, dignity, and respect in, in what we're saying and, and the conversations that we're having, especially if that child is present. Um, so as a parent, it's, it's just mm -hmm. important to be mindful that, you know, receptive language and communicative language are two different things and that your child, um, you know, it, it, you know, they they hear what you're saying, and it registers in their brain as, um, you know, sometimes not that you're having a hard time, but maybe that they are giving you a hard time. So to always just kind of think of it like that, and make sure that you're not, um, you know, you're being mindful of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I definitely like something to kind of off of that, um, we always want to presume competence with everybody that we meet, right? So because somebody is nonverbal, because, you know, different things about them, like Valerie said, you know, they're hearing what you're saying, they're taking it in, and they might not be able to articulate back to you the way that you want them to, but we always want to presume competence when we're talking to mm -hmm. anyone and everyone. I think it's just a good rule of thumb. We're hearing right. from a lot of, I'm sorry to interrupt, we're hearing from a lot of autistic adults now that are kind of reflecting on their childhood um, and, and just kind of saying how, um, you know, that they kind of wish that maybe instead of moms or parents um, saying things like, oh, I'm an autism mom, I'm, um, I'm the mom of an autistic child, or mm -hmm. I am an autism ally. So those are some options as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I really like this idea that you're both saying of the person first, the receptive language versus communicative. I think there's something even deeper there, but uh, the real idea of honoring the person, the child first and competent, like that is very important into going. I just, for people listening, and we were talking a little bit how sometimes people do get awkward. It's, it's not that hard to say, oh, that's Sue, like you were saying. Or that, you know, the name, the person first is really important. And then that helps our young children too, um, hearing that first, their, their, their humanness of who they are first and their, their person and name first. That makes so much sense. I like that. Okay. So you both have experience with school. Julie is a special educator and Valerie is a parent child with special needs. With these perspectives in mind, what suggestions can you give parents and caregivers with special needs or kids with special needs? I almost did it myself with kids with special needs when it comes to school. How can they advocate for their child? Julie, why don't you start first and then we'll do Valerie and then I'll switch next time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would just say um, definitely know your child and what they're comfortable with. Um, always kind of start off at their level you know, um, whether how old they are, whether they're comfortable, maybe they're more outgoing than some, or, you know, um, not as outgoing and shy, you know, and, and that's fine. But we always want to be creative and help our child uh, make the most of everything that they're seeing and doing and encouraging those to, that would like to take part in different activities. And um, maybe if they don't want to, honoring that as well. You know, I think that's, just kind of all the different things that we can teach our child or our children um, and you know even adults because as adults we kind of need reminders and we're all learning we never stop learning so um, I think it's just kind of meet people where they're at and um, how to advocate for them just kind of teaching our children um, friends family whatever how to be empowered by words um, whether they're expressive um, if they're just actions, if they're gestures, if they're whatever they are at any level, just um, honoring that and making sure that everyone is being included. Mm -hmm. Valerie, what do you think? I love that. Um, I would say, um, I would say definitely make sure that you um, see that your child's teacher and, and, if, and if they're not, offer suggestions on how they can be inclusive. Um, versus having, you know, the neurotypical children and the, the children that need more needs, um, how you can just, you know, modify the assignments and create an inclusive classroom that includes everybody. Everybody has, um, deserves to take up space. Everybody deserves to have access to the curriculum and be uh, together and included in groups. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, just making sure that that child has access to and is included in you know, all the classroom lessons, all the activities, you know, the field trips, the assemblies, the enrichment classes, all that stuff. So, um, and definitely okay. see if, um, you know, one thing I'm kind of in the process of right now is advocating for communication uh, devices, AAC devices. Um, those are things that schools can help you with and, and have shown to really help give, especially nonverbal students a voice. Mm -hmm. I love yeah, that. I like and, the uh, idea, the, I'm sorry, of taking up space. I think that that's so important. In a room full of people, everyone takes up space and just kind of honoring everybody's space in that room and just right. that we're all here together. And, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's in a classroom or if it's in, you know, the gym or, you know, whatever it is, I think it's so, such a great concept to kind of all of us to learn. Mm-hmm. And when you say like taking up space, so, okay, everybody's there. Now this is like parent caregiver driven. I'm going to add on a little bit here with this. So like, is it okay? Cause I, I know this from just certain things over the years. If a parent is concerned, they've got things set up their their kids ready to go. But now all of a sudden something happened. The child came home or the parent feels funny. Is it always okay to email a teacher or call? Like, do you both feel comfortable when you say it's okay to say, make things are in place? Is this as basic as a phone call or an email? Like Valerie, is that something you think you want to answer that first? And then Julie, just those basic, basic communication been, things. What do you think? I mean, granted, 
granted, my child is is still in preschool, so I've only had one teacher. But so far, um, all this the staff and and the therapists um, that I have had the opportunity to work with have all um, you know really encouraged open communication about just about anything. So I I don't think anything is too small to just jot down you know an email about and just kind of open that dialogue because. It, you could be bringing something to light that they might not have thought about before and that could potentially help a, another student down the line. So I think it's always worth um, an email, mm -hmm. definitely. Julie, what do you think as a teacher? Are you good with that? Is that okay? Yes, <laughs> Just to absolutely. reinforce anybody listening in. No, absolutely. I think um, the biggest thing that we could do is um, it would be a negative impact on everybody in the classroom if we just kept our voices off and did not say anything whether it was good bad ugly I think um, Valerie had a great point you can bring up some things that other people might not realize um, you know there's been many times parents have come to me and said something and I was like you know what like that is so spot on absolutely those are things that we need to do and um, if that little voice inside of you is telling you do it then absolutely do it if you're not sure do it always err on the side of caution of being overly advocating, of being overly communicative. Respectfully, communicative. of course. Respectfully, <laughs> exactly, respectfully. Yes. But I think, you know, I, I think we're all kind of on that same page there. Like you should always, always, always. And, you know, I, I think that it's never a bad thing. As long as, like Valerie said, perfect point in a respectful manner. I think that's mm -hmm. good for all. I like that you said too, this idea of no off voices. It's important as, you know, parents or advocates that we um, have that opportunity to be able to um, use our voices and make those calls because you're right, you might say something that the teacher, even though this is our expertise, you as a um, special education teacher and such, you might not have realized something. So when the teacher has an opportunity to hear from the parent, it's really okay. And I like how you're just saying that it's okay to advocate and yes, bring that respect to it. All right, so um, we are gonna dive in um, a little bit with the idea of being proactive because this kind of leads into that idea, right? Of being proactive and what we have to do, making those phone calls, writing those notes, et cetera. So, um, well, oops, there we go. So let me get to our question. As we are diving in a bit here, what do we think? think about parents and caregivers of typically developing kids really need to know. Um, so this is kind of, you know, the idea of our parents and caregivers of when we say typically kids, right, kids who are typically developing and our kids who have special needs, how can we have better conversations, say, around the dinner table in regards to supporting our kids with special needs? So Julie, do you want to go with that first? Just, you know, what are these kind of things that we need to know? Absolutely, I think um, kind of like what we're doing here today, um, just having the conversation, making it comfortable to be uncomfortable in your own skin. I mean, it's never easy to do when things are different and um, maybe not exactly how you're familiar with them, but that's what makes everyone better people, right? Just trying to be um, learning new things, just trying to honor others. I think the best way we could probably start is I know I mentioned before, like modeling for our children, you know, whether as a parent, we might not all be comfortable approaching these things either. You know, it's unfamiliar. I mean, I could tell you from my family's point of view, my sister, um, she's in her 50s now. She's 50, 51, 51. She's had her birthday. Um, and um, when we were younger, we would go out for restaurants and you would never see anyone special needs in schools we never saw anyone with special needs you know so a lot of people adults were uncomfortable and I always found it so awkward I didn't understand that because that was my whole world right so I think mm -hmm. like just kind of getting to ourselves comfortable you know if it's just like waving you know a smile it doesn't have to be that you're going up and having a conversation or offering to push Susie's wheelchair you know I think it's just simple simple things that we can start to become more comfortable with it and I think mm -hmm. that's just Sweet and simple is probably like, you know, just some of the easy ways to go into it. Okay. 
I like the idea of just saying the thing. So Valerie, what do you think with this idea of done in with parents and givers of typically developing children? How can we, what can we say to support our kids to special with needs? Like if you're just talking around the dinner table and things like that, what do you suggest? Yeah, um, I really think that um, neurotypical parents, first of all, I, I am unlike Julie, I, I really wasn't exposed to kids with special needs. So I, I was that person who had a lot of questions up until I was, you know, embarrassed to say, but up until I was an adult, I really didn't have a whole lot of interactions with, um, with people with special needs. I, I did, you know, I participated in several volunteer opportunities, um, but nothing that gave me obviously the insight that being a parent has given me. So um, now that I'm a parent, now that I can kind of see things from a different lens, I would say that neurotypical parents um, would be doing their children a huge favor by um, just exposing them to uh, other kids and other adults, other people with special needs and using things like uh, social stories or um, you know, characters in books and movies and YouTube videos and, and TV shows. Thomas the Train is, is actually um, coming out with an autistic character. So that could be a really good source for parents to just kind of um, show them that there's, there's people out there, there's kids out there that behave differently than you, that express themselves differently than you. They might be a lot like you in a lot of, a lot of ways. They might not not be like you in a lot of ways. And it's just important to know that everybody, you know, deserves to be loved and, um, you know, treated with respect either way. So, yeah, I think what you're saying too, this idea of resources. So some parents might be awkward too, right? Like you were saying, sometimes we don't have a lot of experience or background on a topic. So then we get concerned as parents how to talk about it. So your recommendation of going to some resources with books and movies and things where it's just normalized, right? Can yeah. really help parents. That I Yep. I actually just had an experience at um, the McDonald's play place. You know, I was there with Ava and she got really excited and she started screaming and a couple of kids asked me, um, you know, why is she screaming? And I thought this, this is, this is something I can talk about on the podcast because this is, you know, it's happening, mm -hmm. it's happening right now. And you get to tell them this is Ava. She is on the autism spectrum disorder, you know, uh, autism spectrum. And she, um, she expresses herself through different sounds, different hand flaps, sometimes jumps, um, just like you express yourself and you, you know, by saying things like, oh, yay, or yippee, she expresses herself in just different ways. And, and you guys are both excited and you guys are both having fun. We're all here having fun and it's just a little different. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did the kids, what they say afterwards were they like, okay. Or like, did they ask more questions? I'm curious. They had that that deer in the headlight look like okay sure. lady, sure. but then they <laughs> kind of kept on playing and you know eventually their differences kind of fell to the you know to the back and they just kind of were playing in, in the, the ball pit they were kind of climbing up everything they made some game where they were chasing each other and that kind of took over more than um you know the screams and stuff like that and and actually towards yeah. the end they were kind of screaming like her so it was it was actually really sweet I mean granted these are four and a half five-year-old kids and I know that that probably changes as you get older but um mm -hmm. I would say just exposing your kids to to your, your you know your neurodiverse children to neurotypical kids can be so such a learning opportunity for both parties mm-hmm and I think also you saying that to those kids, you're taking moment, yes, like deer in the headlights, that was a little more information maybe, but they got it, right? And you took a right. moment to tell them and then their parent, you maybe, right? And so mm -hmm. we're kind of all helping each other with that role modeling. That's such a great example. Julie, do you want to add anything else kind of, or to add to that? I don't think I could hit okay. it out of the ballpark okay. like Valerie just yeah. did that oh, yeah. story. So no, I'm I just know. Leave it there. We're just gonna leave Good. it. Good. Okay, just check it in. McDonald's. I love that. Yes. <laughs> okay. I will I say no. I will say their mom looked really relieved that I took over in explaining, oh. so they didn't have to explain. So I think that the kids benefit and the parents benefit. And if if you know they run into kids like Ava in the future 
you know, maybe they can help explain to other kids and maybe that mom can help explain to other moms as well. So it, it continues, it'll trickle down. <laughs> Valerie, you were basically the role model in that situation. You showed the mom to show the little kids. So that's a great thing. And look how we all carry on. So I love yeah. that too. It's not um, easy. It, it does involve no. being brave. So yes, yes. you will have to oh. hold back some tears probably while doing yeah. so. But yes, it yeah. does involve some bravery for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it does. And that's so good you said that. It does take bravery. You're right. Yeah. Ugh, I love good. tying in emotion great. to um, like Valerie yeah. just said. I think that's so important because, you know, she was saying, you know, maybe it takes some tears, holding back tears. And I think that that's okay. And I think that we need to normalize that as well. You know, everyone is different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Valerie has mm -hmm. obstacles that I haven't had with my daughter. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's okay. Like everyone's differences are okay. And, at the end of the day, we all cry over certain things. And I'm sure one of us will cry at the end of this podcast, but it's like tears, <laughs> happy tears, joy, right. joy, sharing tears, all that good stuff. But yeah. I yeah. think that's important to put in the motion to that. I love that. And you know, this is a good leeway into the idea of navigating the playground, right? It is something our little ones learn to do. Uh, and it would seem important to take a moment to just, you know, talk about this in relation to our kids with special needs. And I think that, you just did that a little bit, but I would love to go a little deeper. How can we support each other on the playground? So this is a great example, Valerie, that you just gave. But what other things that, um, you know, our kids who are young, they wanna play, how do we play with respect and sensitivity for each other? Julie, would you wanna start and then Valerie? Yeah, um, I know when we were talking about this podcast and all the ideas we had, and mm -hmm. um, Valerie mentioned something that, um, I have found myself um, in playgrounds. So with my classroom, we go on community outings, it's called. So we go to different places and uh, we've been to McDonald's and have ice cream, you know, we go to different parks and it was so cool at the one park we were at. And I wish I could tell you where it is because it's right by Valerie and I and down in um, Illinois, sorry. Um, but I can't think of where it is at the moment. Anyways, um, it had, an, it had a um, aided language board which Karen, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that is, but, um, or some other families might be or might not be, but um, it is, it was like a core language board that had like certain words put to it and um, words that we're familiar with that we're using, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a lot of my students in class use a core language board and, you know, have aided language and um, Valerie mentioned AAC and that's, um, you know, something we can talk about too with assistive tech for, um, emerging communicators, but um, it was just so cool to see that because through my lens, right, as a teacher, I'm like, oh, this is great. I know what this is. And, you know, but just saying that today, some people might be like, what is she talking about? And if you see things like that, and some of them had like sign language symbols to them, and, you know, just take your children over there. And I mean, I would even, not that Emma and I go to the park, but Emma's 17. And I would still say, hey, you know, if we were at McDonald's and there was like, you know, a menu board that had sign language or different kinds of ways to articulate words or communicate. I think it's just great to involve our students and, the, and children in those different things that they can see. I think when we are on the playground, um, again, just modeling that wave or high five or, um, you know, asking another parent, you know, would it be okay if Ava played with John, you know, like kind of starting with the parents' comfort level and then kind of letting that trickle down and seeing how the kids play together. Because Valerie mm -hmm. gave us a great example. So kids are kids. And at the end of the day, they're all yelling and screaming and jumping. And mm -hmm. I think it's just a matter of us being comfortable with someone approaching our kids like that. If, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It does. The idea of checking into like a parent check is always a good idea. Before we go on and you add to this, Valerie, just one more time, go the language board on a playground? Is it big? Is it like squares that are going to show symbols and things like that? Could you just elaborate yes. a little bit more? Yeah. Yes, okay. Yes. Because yes. um, I didn't even so, know what a core board was up until just a couple of years ago. So it, it could possibly be hard to visualize for others. Yeah. And of course, my speech path now is going to be very disappointing to me because I'm like fumbling how to explain this. But <laughs> um, so basically, Valerie, you can chime in because I'm sure you guys I was um, going to chime in, but I, I wanted to wait my turn. <laughs> please do, please do. Like um, so. board with like a bunch of different facial expressions. And okay. underneath okay. each facial expression is kind of like 
um, you know, emotion to, to describe that expression or, or it could even be an activity. And so it gives the, oh, I'm doing more than chiming in here. Um, I, it, it, no, gives, take it, away. it gives the nonverbal child an opportunity to, if, if a child is nonverbal or, you know, um, you know, possibly uh, deaf or, or, you know, hard of hearing or, or whatever, you know, issue that they have with communicating, um, it gives them the opportunity to, to point and to say, you know, to describe how they're feeling or an activity that they want to do. A lot of these are obviously if they're on a playground, they have to do with, you know, things related to play. So one could have um, like a stick figure playing basketball or another one could have a stick play uh, figure playing tennis or whatever. So if the child is unable to communicate to another child, hey, I would like to do this, or I am feeling too tired or too, um, you know, frustrated or whatever right now, it that kind of is a, a catalyst to, to how they feel sort of. Okay, that makes so much sense. Okay, that's what I was kind of thinking, like it's a way to communicate feelings mm-hmm. or play on the playground. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Okay. So that's good to know. And I, that's a great thing for all of us listening to know when we see that now we'll be a little more aware. And so, and then Valerie, would you add, like, what other ideas do you have about just navigating that playground um, with respect and sensitivity to each other? I don't know if you can really bombard kids with a ton of rules before you mm-hmm. hit the ground. And especially mm-hmm. when it comes to how to engage with kids with special needs, because it's already a little, you know, overwhelming for the not not overwhelming but it could be a little uncomfortable for these kids and then they got to remember all these roles so I would just say you have a communication board here to use if you um you know if I'm the parent I'm thinking if I'm I'm the parent I'm telling my child who's about to go to the playground if you um you know you want to play with a kid who um, seems to have some some issues with communicating, utilize the communication board, and then just go over some blanket rules. We treat everybody with respect. We treat everybody with dignity at all times. We don't ever use any names that could possibly um, hurt any kids. Um, and, you know, kids hear things everywhere in movies and TV and, you know, amongst their own friend group and just kind of reinforcing that, um, you know, we don't, we don't ever use anything like that. And we, we just treat everybody with respect and, and treat them how you would want to be treated yourself. So mm-hmm. I think for me, I, I would keep it really simple. Yeah. And I think this kind of, we're building a little bit here. If we're normalizing the conversation, then maybe the playground really isn't that hard. Do you know what I mean? Like if we are normalizing the conversation, our kids show up. Okay. If you know, you know, a kid hanging out and using the communication board, is it called the communication board? Did I get it right? You called it Mm -hmm. something else. Okay. Communication board. Then you just know. Yeah. Okay. So the, you know, you, you, we just know, and then we don't have to really make, you know, a lot of rules or things to do or not because we're normalizing a little bit so going to the playground scene kinds of kids together isn't really a big deal after all right like if we can get to ourselves to that point I like that that idea of just we're all there and we sometimes can't give rules for it that's true too that's why we got to normalize it so that we don't have to do those things (laughs) right exactly (laughs) okay so let's talk a little bit bit about um, the emotional side for parents and for caregivers of our kids with special needs. Um, Parenting is hard and our parents with kids who have special needs and our parents with typically developing, right, have many similar experiences and also have very different experiences. Can we talk about some of the emotional supports needed for parents raising a child with special needs? I don't know, Valerie, if you want to dive in first, is um, there just, you know, so I did, what is, what can we say so, about that? So let's see. So as far as the emotional side of parenting, um, this, this is something, I know we, we've talked a lot about being child focused, but for mm-hmm. this topic in particular, I think we should be adult focused. So, because if we, we have to find at some point to focus on ourselves as parents, right? So if we're going to, if we're going to find a spy, I think this is, this is it. So if this sounds parent focused, that's because it is right now. Um, 
and it, it needs to be taken seriously because parents of special needs children have special needs ourselves. We, you know, many of us do not have the luxury of, um, you know, accommodating our children with special needs while also maintaining careers and also maintaining a social life and also maintaining time for our spouse and our other children. Um, a lot of us have to cut from somewhere to fit it all in. And so that leaves us often feeling like, you know, really guilty and kind of um, shameful because you're, you know, if you're taking time away from another child or from your spouse, or you're, you know, you have to call your boss and, and tell them, hey, um, I have to leave early because of this, you know, that's, that affects you as, as a, as a parent. And you're kind of left feeling these feelings of isolation, frustration, um, maybe feeling overworked. Um, and, you know, you just have to account for things that children of typically developing kids don't have to. Um, every, I mean, every kid has doctor's appointments, but these kids have a couple more doctor's appointments. They have specialist appointments. They have things, um, you know, different activities that they might be in different, um, you know, social, social, I know there's a lot of social circles and stuff like that for special needs kids that, that parents have to attend. And a lot of these parents have, you know, little to no village to work with. So um, it is important, you know, for us to be mindful of our self-care and to um, take time for ourselves to decompress and to seek help if we need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's important um, with the idea of this is the adult focus side, you know, the parent side, the emotion yeah. side of that, that is the side that, you know, and I hear you saying there is maybe additional appointments or things where some of our parents and caregivers with our kids uh, with special needs are just maybe giving more time or like you said, cutting something somewhere or something and it's just important as we navigate to just simply remember these things as humans. Yes. That makes so much sense. Julie, what would you add to the idea of just in your experience in the classroom and, you know, what do you see as some of the kind of emotional support needed for parents? Absolutely. Um, I work with early childhood students. So my students are three, four and five years old. And mm -hmm. I tell all the moms and dads on the first day of school, I will give you as many hugs as mm -hmm. you need in addition to how many they give to your child, because I feel like there's, they drop their student off. And I mean, all three, four and five-year-olds, right? It's, you don't know what's going to happen, but um, typically they've cared for this child more than maybe their other children, or they know this child inside and out. And, you know, maybe they know that a child will be able to come home and express that they had a good day or won't be laughing at the end of the day. And but I think it's just important for parents to know that this is a process for them, as well as in a process for their child and as well as be for a teacher. I love hearing Valerie's side of this because I just think, you know, like I do tell my parents that and I do hug my parents and of course, like assuming they're okay with that, <laughs> but um, not like- We're okay hug, with it. But, we will take okay, it Okay, good, good, good. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I love that. Good, good. Um, but no, but in, in all seriousness, I really truly do tell my family that because I said, as much as an exciting day this is for your family, it's also going to be a very scary and overwhelming and different day because a lot of the times um, the children's that um, in my classrooms have been maybe receiving services that they're gonna be receiving in school, but it's always been in their home. So they've all, always been very hands-on with it. So um, for example, my current classroom that I teach in, it's an all-day program. So I have three-year-olds that come and stay from 8.15 to 2.15 at the end of the day. That is a very long day to have your child not with you, regardless how old they are. I mean, there's, it's just, so I just, I'll check in with families, I'll call them during the day, you know, not all the time, but just initially in the beginning, just to kind of make sure that they can learn to trust me, that I'm a safe person for their child and for them. So, I mean, I have- It's like building yeah. those relationships, building the relationships with your teachers, building relationships with other parents in our communities to really support each other in all of, you know, just, in, and again, as we build those relationships, we're building that sensitivity across. So teacher to parent you're talking about or parents to parent, which is what Valerie is, is saying. 
And when you don't have a whole lot of people who really kind Mm -hmm. of understand, you know, the with you know the full picture um like mm-hmm. someone like a teacher like julie does it, it is just mm-hmm. it is just so nice to have that support uh, you know from a parent perspective i just think like mm-hmm. that is just so nice to have that at least someone understands kind of what you're going through what challenges that you're facing um and um, the good the bad and the ugly you know Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, so, I think that that makes me feel so good, Valerie, because yes. I'm, I just feel like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm like too much, you know, but um, never. <laughs> well, that's never. great mm-hmm. to hear. Yeah. Good, good. I'm well, sure your parents was... appreciate you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. And God, then back goes so. to the beginning, like when we were talking about developing that relationship, emailing your teacher, these are things we have to do, right? Um, you know, usually, and I don't know, Julie, but like teachers that are in teaching and are committed to working with children with special needs, they know so much, right? They want to be able to to, um, communicate with parents and things. This is part of building that relationship with the teacher, kind of back to the the school conversation again for a little bit, right? Our teachers are there to support us, but you want to build that relationship because like Valerie's saying, teachers understand certain things, they have this experience and they can really be supportive of parents as well. So that's kind of a good... and they're professionally trained in things that you're not. So you, you know, they're a great resource as well. They could, they could teach you things that, you know, that maybe other people can't. So great right. resources. Right. For sure. right. Right. So let's go into the two questions I always ask. I know we've tried to frame these kind of just right here, but, but let's talk a little bit based on your experience. So both of you, um, what is the real conversation behind talking about kids with special needs with and their families what what do you think the real conversation is um I would say that the real conversation and it's not something that we've really talked about yet is Mm -hmm. um you know if you're able to and I already I understand that parents of special needs children already have a lot on their plate however um it is very important for Um, parents to become um, educated and involved in local laws and legislators that deeply affect their children. So there's actually something called Ava's Law, um, and it it kind of shortens, oops, sorry, having some communication issues right now, looking over my notes. Um, (laughs) I didn't write down exactly what Ava's Ava's Law entailed but it took about Mm -hmm. seven years to pass and they were just kind of saying what that you know it with more like support how they could shorten that window and get kids the accommodations in classrooms that they really need so i think Mm -hmm. that local laws and legislature and then also um creating more extracurricular activities and aids for special needs kids as well um and then i have just some notes on here about a study actually that I read in the um, Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, which is parent Um, Mm self-care. The author was a researcher, uh, Marsha Seltzer. She's from University of Wisconsin-Madison. She, and this this article basically discussed how uh, the relationship between uh, parents of special needs children and how they experience stress hormones very similar to that of CPTSD. So, um, you know, it said, uh, I have a couple of notes on here. On any given day, um, moms of special needs kids were twice as likely to be tired, three times as likely to experience a stressful event. Um, Moms were interrupted at work on and this says moms and this, but parents um, interrupted at work on one out of every four days compared to one of every 10 days for um, parents of typically developing children. Um, and that uh, mothers of those with autism, oh, that's why it says mothers, because that's what was, that's who participated in the study. So mothers mm-hmm. of those with mm-hmm. autism report spending at least two more hours per day caregiving than those without disabilities. Um, and, and so that's, you know, 
there's one more that says, despite all of this, mothers of an individual with autism were just as likely to have positive experiences each day uh, they volunteer or support their peers as those with children with no developmental disability. So in in English, what, what this is basically saying, what the real conversation is, is if this feels hard, it, it's because it is hard. It's it's mm-hmm. not just in your minds, it's not just your imagination. This there are now numbers and studies that can back this up, that um it is difficult. And so uh, the real conversation needs to be parents of special needs uh, children need a better support circle, need more respite services, um, and need more activities uh, to help, especially with some of the behavioral challenges that are presented. Yes. That's what I would say. Yes. Okay. That is just had so many, I really appreciate you reading the study, talking about this idea of knowing your like local laws and legislation. That seems really important. And just that idea of the, the need for support and services. Thank you for sharing that. That is a real part of like the real, real talking mm-hmm. about it, that it really is hard. Julie, what would yeah. you add to that? The real conversation. Um, I would say the real conversation is just keep having those conversations. Uh, I think mm. it's just important not to um, say, oh, you know, this happened on Friday, so we're going to talk about it over the weekend, and we're going to be, you know, this great family. Well, what about in a month? What about in two months? You know, like, not saying it has to happen every single day, but you can just touch mm-hmm. upon it, you know, so what happened today in school? What happened today? You know, you know, like, um, I think it just normalizes it. I, I know that's kind of what we're trying to do here today, mm-hmm. but the more we talk mm-hmm. about it and the more we make it a natural thing, it's more authentic. I just feel like mm-hmm. that's what the real conversation is, kind of making it an authentic conversation. I love that. Right. To have the, con- yes, to have conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Understand that autism is, is, is not a bad word. It's not, you know, a negative word or anything like that, that, um, and to encourage anybody that has questions or, um, I know parents, if they see their kids staring, sometimes they'll, they'll kind of say, Hey, don't, don't stare or don't ask any questions. I think you should Mm -hmm. ask questions, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that that gives, um, you know, whoever is on the receiving end of those questions, an opportunity to say, you know, hi, this, this is me. This is, you know, these are the challenges I have. These are, um, you know, the things that I deal with if, if they feel like, you know, open to do so, Mm -hmm. but at least it opens up that conversation versus just don't don't even go there, you know? Yes. And I think this is really important what you just said. So when your child notices, maybe a child has a special need, they could be even as a physical special need or something, they're saying whatever, instead of as a parent saying, shh, don't say that, or don't stare, don't, the things that we typically have said, right? Mm-hmm. What about, and, and we don't always have to put it on the other um, family or the mom. What about if we, as the parent just say, hey, small child, whatever your mm-hmm. name is, right? I'm noticing you're noticing that, you know, you see a child over there that might be whatever, whatever they're noticing. And then that's the parent's opportunity to, instead of saying, shush, don't say that, maybe says, you know, there's lots of different kids out there and we present all sorts of different ways. And isn't that great that you are noticing something? Let's go play at the playground. Maybe you'll get to talk to so-and-so. Do you know what I mean? Like we can yes. make it simpler in a yeah. sense. Yeah. I just like well, that way what you were saying in that sense. So I think... You know, I know we keep normalizing and we're trying. Um, and I think we're doing a good job at saying the word over and over again because yeah. if we're talking around our tables, if we're doing all those things, then we kind of can see um, you know, what um you know, we're giving that, what is sort of the if we're making it normalized and we are doing it around the general table and at the playground. And when our kids ask questions, if we just don't go shh, we say, Yep, I see that too. Hey, okay, you know, we kind of then we are normalizing it for sure. So um Let's kind of go to this next question. I tried to word it right now. I so we're doing it this way. All right. So we're going to go to Valerie and then Julie. Julie, what is the norm we can challenge here? Many may think talking about kids with all abilities, so we're putting everybody together, is blank, but really it is blank. All right, Valerie, can you fill in the blanks for us? I'm going to have Julie go first. I, I don't know okay. if I have a good answer to this yet, but I'm okay, hoping Julie. to work off of her answer. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll, I'll love try it. to be a 
good springboard for you, Valerie. Yep. Okay. All right. So I would say um, many may think talking um, about kids with all abilities is uncomfortable, but it mm. really is in all of our best interests. Oh, um, I love I that. Man, okay, I want to make yes. my answer first. <laughs> go, 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 girl. All right. <laughs> I really thought about it, and I, I, I just, I, I, I couldn't come up with a, a really good answer for this question. I'm so sorry, but I, I like that. I, I like that. And you know what? They think it's uncomfortable, but it's in the best interest. Okay, it is in the best interest, and it might be uncomfortable. Can we work past that a little bit for the best interest? Okay, I just thought of mine. Do that. So in right. order for in order for us to be able to talk to neurotypical parents or children, I think we first have to be able to talk with each other um, and kind mm. of figure out. I think a lot of parents deal with shame and guilt and some of those feelings that I, I talked about earlier. And um, we're kind of like almost feel bad discussing some of those things. And I think that uh, we think that it's about informing others when really I think it's also about kind of doing some self checks on ourselves and, and just kind of normalizing some of the feelings that we're feeling so that we can um, accept them and then and, and learn from them and kind of, you know, discover what they need <laughs> and talk about them with uh, other parents and then be ready with that for, you know, uh, to inform everybody else on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think we've really given, in our conversation, both of you sharing, I really do think we're giving a lot of ideas for people to talk. You know, one of the things I like to say, um, a great way to get started with your own family or anybody's like, hey, I was listening to this podcast today and we were talking about normalizing, uh, talking about our kids who have special needs and talking about kids with all abilities. And that's an in for us, right? You take what you heard today with you and you tell your family, you tell your kids, you tell your significant other, you tell whoever, right? And then that's a way to kind of get started. I really appreciate both of you giving those responses to the real conversation and kind of the challenge of the norm because they both did that. So thank you. Now I wanna end with any final thoughts from each one of you. So Julie, final thoughts do you have? Yeah, um, I just thank you for giving us this opportunity and this platform to kind of bring about this so important conversation. And I know hopefully it'll benefit many, but um, I also wanted to say that I'm not an expert, but if there are families or individuals or whatever that wanted advice or help or how to start this conversation, how to start normalizing it, I am more than happy to, um, if someone reaches out to you, Carrie, provide information to them, mm -hmm. you know, whatever works. I'm happy to um, keep this conversation going on to whomever it might benefit. For sure. Definitely. Thank you. And yet, go ahead. Thank you. Valerie. Yeah, no, thank you again for this opportunity to um, speak, you know, from a parent perspective. And um, sometimes I don't always feel, you know, comfortable doing that. And I know a lot of parents don't always feel comfortable opening up that conversation. So um, just thank you for kind of opening this up and, and giving us a platform to discuss some things that a lot of us might be thinking, but not really ready to quite say out loud yet. So, yeah. 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 Thank you for saying that. I really do want to thank both of you for being here, taking your time to be here. And also, like you were saying, taking a moment to talk about something that can be hard sometimes for some of us. And so I'm glad that we were all brave. That was a mm -hmm. word you used in the beginning, Valerie, that we were all three brave today to be able to do that and to have this courageous conversation together. So Yay. thank you both. <laughs> all thank right. you. That's it. Thank you for listening to The Courage. It would be great to hear from you. So send me a message through Anchor or reach out to me via email. Links are in the episode notes. Thank you. You got this. Thank you.